If we were going to stand on the hill the day that Jesus gave his life for us, we would have heard beautiful words, what we'd probably call the seven last words of Jesus. Yet we would also hear what he heard, the words that people spoke to Jesus. In the season of Lent, we've been looking at some of the things that people have said to Jesus on the cross. Today, we come to this version, this passage from Mark's gospel. Now, some of the words to Jesus, you know, we might be familiar with, you know, like, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We may have heard that one before. I don't know if you're as familiar with, someone talked about Elijah. They said, look, he's, he's calling Elijah. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered why somebody said that? This morning, I hope to give an answer to that question of why would people say that? And the answer to all of life's questions, including this, is found at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> we should pray, shouldn't we? Let's pray. Okay. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it tells the story of who you are and who we are in your grace. We come again to the foot of the cross. We are standing on the hill, and we have listening ears. Speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, I love me some sweet tea, don't you? So have you ever been to Cracker Barrel? You know, I always get sweet tea. I, I mean, I don't care if I'm there at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning for breakfast. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to get, you know, two eggs over easy, la, la, la. I'd like some sweet tea to go with that, please. But on the table at Cracker Barrel, who's been to Cracker Barrel? It doesn't matter where you go. Okay, most of you probably know that they have what they call those genius tests. You know the genius tests? Where they've got the triangle and the golf tees are in them. Any geniuses in our midst? We, anyone we need to celebrate? You've been able... Where? Of course, Kevin. <laughs> I'm never going to Cracker Barrel with you, ever. Right, congratulations, Kevin. You win a gold star at the end of the church service today. Who knew that? What a joy, right? So, <laughs> so you, you do your thing. Now, why do they do that? Because, you know, they've got, you know, they know sometimes when families go, it takes a little while to get, you know, the breakfast or the lunch out to everybody. So they, they do something on the table. Now, you know, what do you do if you go to a restaurant and they don't have those things? We, we figure out, you know, get some crayons, get some whatever, turn the menu over or, or the placemat over and you're, you know, we're figuring out how to do stuff, how to, how to entertain. What did they do in Jesus' day? They didn't have iPads in Jesus' day, by the way, to entertain the kids. So whenever they would celebrate for a big meal, a meal particularly that might take a long time. Did you ever notice that sometimes on our high holy days, the meals that you sit down with your family and friends, they're just going to take maybe a little bit longer than just the grab and go during the week. You know, did you ever notice that when we have special meals, we make, you know, food, you know, certain types of food that would help to like say what this holiday is, you know, like turkey is kind of synonymous with Thanksgiving and ham is kind of, you know, synon I don't know why, but with Easter for some reason, you know, there's never like, hey, it's a Tuesday night, let's make the family pistachio pudding. If you don't know what that is, it's the grossest thing in the entire world that my wife's family 
make sure, oh, it's a holiday. We got to have a pistachio pudding. Never on a Wednesday night are we like, I want me some pistachio pudding because it's gross. So what you do is you take this weird jello and the pineapple and the marsh. It's the weirdest thing in the whole world. Am I right? Yes, I'm right. So so food tells a story. Oh, you know, we've got things on the table that help to tell the story. Now, in Jesus' day, when, when they would, you know, sit down for one of the high holy day meals, and in fact, you know, the day before, the day before Jesus gave his life for us, he gathered with his disciples and he celebrated a meal. This meal was called the Passover meal. It was during the feast of unleavened bread. You know, it's kind of the same thing. So they would all gather. And they would celebrate, they'd have certain foods that would help to tell the story, and they'd have certain things that they would do to help not only tell the story of why they're gathering to celebrate and share this meal, but also to entertain the kids, to have something to do while this meal unfolded. Now, they didn't necessarily have the golf tees and the genius test, they had Elijah. Now, here's what they do. Jesus would gather with his disciples, and Jesus did this growing up, but I wonder if they did this too when Jesus is there with all of his sort of grown-up disciples. You see, they would set the table, you would go, and the meal that they were celebrating is the most defining story of who they are. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. It's the thing called the Passover. So it's when God has delivered and redeemed and set free his people and, and brought them out of bondage of slavery in Egypt. So again, it's a long story. I'm not going to tell the whole thing. Read about it in the book of Exodus. But they would tell this story. And they'd all gather and they'd either have a place or a, a chair or whatever. And, and even now they do this still. And you gather for the meal and everybody kind of gets to their place. And then there's an empty place. And we're like, did we lose grandma in the woods again? No, no, no. They say, well, okay, we got everybody, right? Who's this chair for? Well, this is Elijah's chair. Who's that? Like our second cousin that we never met? No, 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 no. Let me tell you about Elijah. In fact, we're expecting for him to come to dinner tonight. Really? All right. You know, kids, why don't you go and check the door? See if he's here. And they get all excited. And as kids, Jesus would have done this and his disciples would have done this. They would have run to the door. They would have opened it and they would have looked. They say... Uh, we don't see him. He's not here yet. And they'd sit down at the table, make sure Elijah has his own chair, his own place. The food would tell the story, but then they would also have cups. So they would actually have five cups on the table, and they were to signify the promise of deliverance that is given in Exodus chapter 6. Let's take a look at this. Now, Ray helped us out to emphasize a little bit about what these cups would mean. Let's kind of take a look at this. Therefore say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. 
So did you notice there were five bolded and or larger phrases, particularly emphasizing the verbs of deliverance? Now, what they would do is it would be five cups, and each one, let's take a look at them, right? The bring you out, free you. So they would take a cup, and in good holidays or good celebrations, they would raise the cup. They would maybe say cheers. They would celebrate it. They would drink from it, and they would tell this story. They would talk about a God who brings us out. This is the promise of deliverance. Now, let's look at this through the lens of salvation, What is deliverance? What is redemption? What is salvation if it's not these things? And during the Passover meal, they take the first cup, and they would talk about a God who brings them out, who sets them free, who redeems them with an outstretched arm. Now, do you remember that on that night, we do this thing called Holy Communion. It's where we take the bread We take the cup. But what happens when Jesus is celebrating, he takes a cup. I I don't know necessarily which one of the five that he's going to take. But often I've referred to it as the third cup. The cup of redemption. And he takes this cup and he changes it a little bit. They're going to tell the story of the Passover, but Jesus is now going to help us understand it in light of who he is and what he's come to do. And he would take this cup and he would say, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. When you drink this, remember me. I wonder if he read that verb again, read that phrase, read that promise of deliverance from Exodus chapter 6, which they would have done in that third cup. And he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And what did he do? Not even 24 hours later, he redeems us. With an outstretched arm. And what is salvation? That in this redemption, he takes us as his own. That's deliverance. Setting us free from bondage. Bringing us out under the yoke of oppression. Redeeming us and and taking us to himself. Those are the, the four cups that they would raise up. And they would, they would drink and they would toast and they would say, but yet this fifth cup, this I will bring you out, this is Elijah's cup. And nobody drinks it. It just stays on the table. Because throughout right, the years, as, as this meal sort of, you know, as they formed how to tell the story of the Passover, you know, obviously post-Elijah, Elijah wasn't there during the Passover. Elijah's a prophet in the Old Testament. But Elijah represents something that every time they would tell the story, the defining story of who they are as God's people, of being delivered from slavery in Egypt, they would tell the story now within the lens of who are we as God's people and where are we going and how are we delivered and redeemed and where do we desire to be? And they do this through the lens of Elijah because Elijah is the one who is the symbol that is the forerunner. He's the one who shows up. They believed that Elijah would come and usher in the Messiah, that he was not to be the Messiah, but to be that final announcement that now we are ready. Elijah's going to come back. Elijah's going to come back, and that's going to be the sign for us that the Messiah will come. So that fifth cup, this idea of, of now being brought out and established, 
in the, the Exodus version, right, it's this idea of I'm going to bring you into the promised land. Well, what happens throughout not only the decades and the years and the years and the years where it doesn't quite work out, where the, the kingdom is divided, when, when they struggle and they don't have a place to call their own, even in Jesus' day, you know, they, they have their own temple and they, they have their own freedom, yet they are still oppressed. They're under the thumb of the Romans. And so they're celebrating and they are still in some way looking for redemption, but not just redemption under the, the yoke and the bondage of slavery, but a redemption, a full redemption that comes with the establishment of who they are under the Messiah, under this kingdom that will come. Jesus, in his public ministry, was walking around and he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, you know, the word on the street is that some think you're John the Baptist and others think you're Elijah or maybe one of the other prophets of the Old Testament raised from the dead. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And even to understand Jesus' public ministry, we have to understand how he talked about John the Baptist, the one who was to prepare the way of the Lord. Let's take a look at, at that scripture where Jesus is describing John and what his ministry will look like. We got that? There we go. Here's what he's saying. And actually, uh, the angel is saying this to John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah. This is the vision in the temple. And he's describing... Zechariah's son. He says, Jesus is going to be your son. And we know him as John the Baptist. He's going to bring back many of the people to Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Elijah's come. They didn't see him. And there's Jesus on the cross now. And he cries out. And the people there said, he's calling Elijah. Let's, let's see. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. And Jesus breathes his last. Why did they say that? Why does Elijah show up again on the hill? There's something, I think, within the people that, I think even within us, we're always looking and we're always longing. We're looking with hope. Elijah is the symbol of hope. And we now, as God's people, do not wait without it. Because in honesty, though the kingdom has come, it is still at hand. We still wait, but we do not wait without hope. We do not wonder and look for a sign. Indeed, the sign has come, yet there are signs around us when we hope with anticipation and longing. For as Handel would say, when the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever 
and ever. Hallelujah. We have that longing still. We have that desire. And I wonder, as they lifted up, you know, as they lifted up that weird mixture that they made as he's on the cross and they lifted it up from, I wonder if Jesus didn't drink it. Or maybe he did. We're not quite, we're not quite sure what's happening here. But again, it, it points back to there's that final cup that sits on the table. As God's people, we look at a God who delivers us and brings us out and takes us to his self you know. But yet he's going to bring us somewhere. He's going to establish us under this kingdom. I know that there's probably that fifth cup that's sitting on your table right now. And you look at it as the children do. They're invited during that meal to watch the cup. To see if it stirs. Is there any movement? Because that would represent Elijah's presence. And I know that there's a cup that's on your table and you're looking at it and you're longing of when hope will come. But I tell you that Elijah has come and he has ushered in and prepared the way of the Lord. The Messiah has come. The problem is for us sometimes is that salvation is happening in front of our eyes and we're still looking for the sign. Indeed, Elijah's come. Raise your glass. Tell the story. But look. Check the door. He's coming. Watch the glass. But watch with hope. Let's pray. We thank you for the redemption that is ours, Lord, because of your outstretched arms. The outstretched arm that was pierced, that was nailed to a cross, and for us and for our salvation. Yet that arm that reaches to us now to draw us close to your heart, that brings us to yourself. Come, Lord, and surround us with your presence. Come, Holy Spirit, and remind us that we are loved, that we are redeemed by your blood. We are your people today, that there's forgiveness with you, that there's always an opportunity to say yes to that which you are doing in our hearts. So Lord, come again. We say yes to your salvation. We say yes to your life. We say yes to the freedom and the redemption that you give. And while we wait for all things to be made right, we still wait with hope. So in the stories that we tell, in the meals that we'll share, in the glasses that we raise, we look with hope. Fill us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.